It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for The Athletic, Sam Amick. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Out to the T-Mobile special guest line we go. T-Mobile and Sprinter are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. From The Athletic, he's our good friend Sam Amick. Sam, what is going on? Guys, good evening, good afternoon. Good to be with you. Good to be with you, Sam. Uh, Want to congratulate you on your interview and your your piece with Michelle Roberts. I thought it was it was great, and you dove deeply into all these issues that have been uh, kind of bouncing around my mind for a little bit. But uh, things that have to happen uh, with the NBA and the players and all that stuff. And and we want to get into get into it deeply with you here in a moment. But I'm curious, what's she like? She seems. You know, she seems really smart. Well, I guess let me let, let me start there. She seems like a really sharp, sharp lady. What were your impressions, or what are your impressions of her? No, I like Michelle a lot. It, 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 I enjoyed the heck out of that conversation from the standpoint of I didn't really know her that well before. Had a handful of interactions, um, and to be honest, you know, like with any job, and even though she's somebody who had been incredibly successful as a trial lawyer in Washington and, and had a level of success, you know, before taking the union job. Um, when she first came into the NBA, you could sense like kind of that, that rookie vibe in terms of she had no NBA relationships. Um, she was a fresh face and a new name. And I was actually there the night she got elected in Vegas during summer league. And it was historic from the standpoint of being the first female to lead a North American sports league's labor unit. And, um, you know, over time, she grew into the role. And, and now, you know, like I wrote, like we talked about on the podcast, you know, she's on the edge of retirement. And this, for me anyway, was the most at ease that I've uh, kind of heard her, the most kind of very relatable. I've had a few people respond to the interview and use that word and just talk about, I mean, even – some of the colorful language she used just was like we were two people sitting at the bar talking about life, talking about the NBA. And, and so um, I think she's done a good job and I do give her a lot of credit because, you know, this is not, I know people think that this is all the life of luxury in the bubble. Yes. There's nice hotels. Yes. You might hear the sound of pickleball in the background right now, which is not a joke. That's real. But like people are away from their lives and Michelle chose to be here for two months. Uh, more than that, actually, go back to July 14th. You know, you're talking almost three months. So she wanted to be here for the players to get to know them and make sure that, that you know, that message was sent, that she was behind them. And I think that's uh, worth, you know, worthwhile and, and worthy of the cause. So, Sam, do you get a sense from her uh, moving forward into some of the sticky issues that are, are going to be the league is facing moving forward? Uh, as far as revenue and that sort of thing goes, do you get the sense that she's a reasonable person who wants to find a solution as opposed to a revolutionary who's looking for a fight? Yeah, I do, Gordon. And But that's part of where she's evolved, is that her relationship with Adam Silver um, is so good now, and she trusts him so much more than she did in the beginning. Like she talked about that for them – the two of them, it was good that in the beginning they had a clean slate. They had no prior history, no baggage to have to work through. 
Um, and that's all well and good, but you still didn't know each other. And now it's six years of trust. Like she said uh, a couple of times, you know, to her knowledge, he's never lied to her. That matters a lot. And so now you go into it and she's going into it with a partnership mentality rather than a confrontational mentality. And in the beginning, that wasn't really the case. The players had just kind of had their, their backsides handed to them, so to speak, in negotiations. They'd gone from 57% share of basketball-related income down to 49 and and they didn't like the fact that they were losing ground on that front. They were unhappy with Billy Hunter, the prior union executive director, and there was you know a lot of untoward stuff that happened during that era. And so Michelle, you could tell, felt obligated to come out kind of with guns blazing and, and, and take Adam Silver head on. And, and it wasn't going, you know, it was more that revolutionary type of approach that you mentioned. But that's changed. You know, and now there's a real recognition that, you know, this is a, a very unique time with the pandemic, you know, like a road taking about a, a billion and a half dollars off their plate, all told. And if the revenue's down, they got to figure out how to split it up. And, and what the model should be for next year so that it's fair. I think the one sticking point that might slow them down is that she framed the negotiations that are going to happen in the next few weeks and, and are already happening in an interesting way where she mentions that this league is going to rebound and, and kind of alluded to the idea that, you know, don't try to take um, too much money away from the players, you know, right now because they do have, they are somewhat optimistic that it's going to rebound going forward. So, they're going to haggle a bit. It's never easy in these types of negotiations, but I'd be shocked if they don't get something done, you know, in relatively short order. You know, to the, to this point, um, Sam and Gordon, to to your question there, this this uh, comment from her really stood out to me, Sam, uh, when she said, "No one is suggesting that either the players alone or the owners alone should sustain the losses. The nub of the conversation will be managing the losses such that it makes sense for both the owners and the players, and recognizing and not ignoring the incredible sacrifices the players have made and will have to make in this environment to keep our sport going." You know, easy peasy, as she says. But that really stands out to me because that's not the the stance the players in Major League Baseball, for example, are taking. That seems like a really pragmatic approach. For sure, for sure, and, and they do seem willing to discuss the NBA players do everything on the table. Now, listen, the bubble thing is going to be it's going to be tricky because um, by and large, players have kind of unofficially decided no more bubbles, but the virus is still raging all across the country. I mean, I my jaw hit the floor this morning watching CNN when, you know, one of the experts had uh, kind of a doomsday scenario of, of American lives lost doubling by next year, which is terrifying. And so within that, they, they, they have to continue considering extreme options. Now, I don't think there's any chance that there's going to be another 12-week bubble uh, of any kind. Uh, they're talking about possibly having to do like a four-week regional bubble where teams within the same division uh, cut down travel and play one another and then break the schedule up that way. And, you know, there's just a lot of options on the table. But they know on the flip side of that, players, executives, league officials, everybody, that there's a real danger zone here. And if, uh, hypothetically speaking, if they couldn't execute something next year that salvaged revenue in the same way that this bubble has for this season, then... You, you're talking major trouble. You're talking layoffs across the league, uh, salary cap taking a dive. And, and sure, the, the last people hit are going to be the players 
and even the coaches and the executives who are all pretty wealthy people. But it's real, and um, and that danger is, is you know very much something they got to address. Sam, any timetable as far as what this next season will look like, uh, timing wise? I mean, the draft is what around Thanksgiving time. When do you think this is going to start, and when do you think it'll end? If I, I mean, right now, you know, in terms of the season itself, you know, I would, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of targeting that uh, Martin Luther King Jr. January eighth. I'm sorry, eighteenth uh, date. You know, and that's but it's everything's fluid. You know, that's what they're hoping for. Uh, I think and it's funny we kind of double teamed Michelle at the athletic, and it was unintentional, but it worked out well. Where I spoke with her, and then our Shams Rania also did a separate interview with her, and, and I think she told Shams that December first was the uh, the possible free agency date. And so, um, selfishly, I, I was happy to hear that because that means all right, let me get home for a few days in October when this whole thing comes to an end, and have a little bit of time off before. We're, we're tackling free agency, but if you did January, you know, through September, something like that, you know, maybe that's the plan. Uh, I do think they're learning some things the hard way right now. I mean, the finals ratings are down, and there's just a bunch of reasons, you know what I mean. And um, but but it seems pretty clear right now that October is not really working out so well for the NBA audience, and really September, late September either. So that stuff worries them. Um, so, you know, it's, but again, everything they talk about, it, I can't imagine. I mean, they just have, it's not even just plans in terms of discussions. It's reams and reams of binders and folders and proposals and scenarios and PowerPoint presentations that, that at the end of the day, 99% of them you can just hit delete on and, and keep moving forward because they aren't relevant. They don't come into play because the virus doesn't cooperate. The circumstances don't cooperate, you know, but this is what they're doing right now. They're trying to, to gain out for every possible scenario. I would uh, recommend uh, anybody check out Sam's interview with uh, Michelle Roberts at uh, The Athletic, and I'm sure this will come up uh, throughout the, the, the process and at later on dates, Sam. I, th- I thought it was really great, so I would recommend that to anybody. But switching to the game last night, I really felt for the heat a little bit because if Contavious Kent- Caldwell-Pope, of all people, is going to go out and hit big shots, what are you going to do? You know, somebody you got to leave somebody open to defend AD and LeBron, and, and he made them. He did. He did. And, you know, and he's a guy who has received some criticism in the past where, you know, he's uh, shared agencies and agents with LeBron and Anthony Davis, the club sports agency that, that Rich Paul created. And so the narrative was that Contavious uh, was only there as kind of a, uh, a an obligation of sorts that the Lakers had to have him on board to make Rich Paul happy, to make LeBron happy, whatever it might be. The guy goes out and gives you 15 points and five assists in a game five or a game four rather uh, of the finals. It's huge. I mean, my favorite shot, to be honest, late is uh, I'm drawing a blank on who he who he kind of got, but man, that that right side runner at the rim, his spring and kind of the quickness that he used to get, you know, it kind of surprises the defender and get up there and have a, a really big bucket late in the game. Was huge. Uh, so you know he pays off. And that's the thing. We're going to focus on LeBron and AD, and with good reason. But the Lakers, others, so to speak, had been huge. You know, whether it's an Alex Caruso one night, even Danny Green with his defense. Um, you know, Kyle Kuzma. I, I give Kuzma credit because he's had a few moments, but he also appears to have really come to grips with the fact that 
while it seemed for a, for a while early in the season that he was supposed to be their third star, that just has not come to fruition. And now the way they're built is LeBron and AD. And, and, and then the offense is just whoever's open. And, you know, they need strong play from those other guys. And they've gotten it, and they've gotten it more than the Heat has. You know, the Heat have had struggles with Duncan Robinson. Tyler Hero has been up and down. Uh, Kelly Olin has been really good, not as great the last game. But, you know, Kendrick Nunn comes and goes. So um, it's such a star-driven league that these role players on both sides have been major factors. Apparently, Sam, uh, Anthony Davis can at least partially slow down Jimmy Butler. Yeah, he sure did. I mean, I give Frank Vogel credit, first of all, the Lakers coach who makes that call. And, uh, and, and you know, he talked about this a little bit last night, how it was a calculated decision because AD got in foul trouble the game before. So conceivably it's playing with fire to put AD on Jimmy in this last game because you don't want the same thing to happen all over again. So Jimmy hits his first five shots in the first quarter, not really working all that well. And it wasn't just AD, it was LeBron and Marquise Morris. But then uh, over the course of the game, it, it worked. You know, the length, AD's athleticism, his ability to, to keep up with Jimmy. And the thing about Jimmy, as great as he is, I think it it almost kind of like exploited Jimmy's one of his weaknesses, which is that he almost overpasses at different times. And Andre Iguodala does the same thing. I mean, he'll be at the rim, you know, looking like he's got a layup, but I think AD's length was in his head a little bit. And next thing you know, he's passing it out to the perimeter, even though AD had switched on to someone else. And you saw that quite a bit. And that, to me, is you know that's a sign of a guy who is looking over his shoulder, and that's the uh, the impact of AD defensively. How much bubble fatigue is there now between, uh, I mean, media included, but uh, players and staff? I mean, you guys have been there a long time. Yeah, it's it's real. I think the weird thing now is, like, the uncertainty about the schedule. Like, it's, you know, tonight, to be honest, is a good night because there's nothing to do. I mean, you know, you're getting work done. But uh, to paint the picture for you, I mean, it's such a surreal environment. As you sit here talking, you know, there's a – over by the media room. I don't even know what's happening. There's some sort of party getting set up that we were joking about how it's in our media space, so I don't even know if we're invited or not. So if we're not, I'm just going to crash it. Um, <laughs> and you, you got the pickleball game is pretty robust right now. Um, you know, Steve Smith from NBA TV is over there. The officials came to Gerald Scott Foster. Um, there's a communal aspect to it that's been really fun. But then because we're so close to the finish line, and this applies to the players and the team employees, two coaches and executives, like you start, you're certainly feeling the pull of your personal life. Like we have to plan. Like I booked a flight today. Like no offense to the heat, but I got a, a flight booked for after game five and I can change it if I have to, but you got to do that. Then you got to think about clearing out your room quickly the morning after, because you got to get out of here quick. If, you know, if we are in fact leaving on Saturday, so, the logistics are now coming into play. So, like, reconciling all of that with just another day in the bubble makes it all feel a little bit kind of hurried at the finish line. But, um, you know, everybody's ready to go home. I mean, there's been highlights and positives with the bubble for sure. But, you know, I think absolutely folks are ready to go. So, Sam, you're, you being the writer that you are, you get on that plane and you start thinking about writing about what your experience was at the bubble, in the bubble. 
what uh, what what are the primary th- what is the primary thought that comes to mind? Assuming the Lakers go ahead and win. Well, I mean, certainly we'll be covering. Let's say the Lakers win, you know, we'll be trying to chronicle how they got there, how they got done, all that stuff. But beyond that, uh, in terms of just the bubble experience, honestly, and this is you know not the most fun topic to get into, but it's this hit me today where it's like it, it is it is. It's wild to be on the inside of something that, medically speaking, has worked. And where, you know, I'm watching the news today, and the White House is essentially on fire when it comes to the virus. Um, and, you know, it, it's weird because we, especially in sports media, we get accused all the time of, like, like the athletes. Like, they stick to sports. We don't want to hear your political opinions or your worldview opinions. But this is one where we kind of joke, like, well, wait a minute. Like, we've actually seen from the inside – how certain measures work, how, and, and listen, the resources here are not comparable whatsoever to the real world. In the real world, you cannot get your hands on a test every single day. You can't control the people like you can't in here in terms of the rule. But you absolutely can apply this model to the White House, and I do believe that if they would have, this would not have happened. And that is, I don't know what the word is. I've already said surreal like before, but like, that's kind of wild to wrap your head around that I, I you know, I, I, there's like you, you have, you know, the authority from personal experience to say, you know, get mad at that opinion all you want. But it's not that complicated. If you have the resources and you apply them in the right ways, we can get through this time and you can, you know, avoid, um, you know, spread and infection. So I, I applaud the NBA not to give them the victory lap. When this thing's not over yet, uh, that's what they keep saying too. I mean, Adam Silver won't grant any like you know long sit-down interviews because he's afraid of jinxing it. They're nervous, um, and you can even tell that as a quick side story, guys. You know, we now get these text messages on our phones from the league. I don't even know who's sending them. That are they're making us laugh because they're really basic. Like, hey, remember washing your hands? You know, keeps the virus away. And, and it's really it's kind of useless and silly and. But it's a sign that they are going the extra mile to uh, to try to make sure this thing gets over the finish line, if that makes sense. So uh, that's probably my, my biggest takeaway is that it, it's been very odd to be in this place that that is safe, in this place where people can socialize from distance and live your lives when you know what's happening on the outside. And obviously we're all going to be back in it here pretty soon. Well, Sam, I, I got to say thank you to the good folks at The Athletic and thank you to you for um, for getting down there and covering this. I think it's been really valuable for our listeners to experience it a little bit vicariously uh, through you and your reporting, of course, at The Athletic and, and joining us weekly. You've done a really great job in a, in a, a once-in-a-lifetime truly experience. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you. Be good. Thank you, Sam. That's our friend Sam Amick. Read his stuff online. At uh, at the athletic, and I remember talking to Sam before he went down there, and I told him I, I said, "Hey, man, I'm a, I'm a little bit jealous. Like that's a that's a big sacrifice being away from his family. I, I would guess he's a little fatigued from the bubble, but imagine being right there in the middle of all that, Gordon. I'm sure it is surreal. I I, I better be really cool from a story a storytelling standpoint. Yeah, and uh, all of the above. And when you think about the guys who are there and have been there for so long. There probably is some uh, a little bit of a in the club kind of feeling to uh, to it that they're all they're all you know working their way through it and 
I bet Sam has uh, gotten to know some of the folks from all different walks of the NBA uh, through this experience. I also know Sam well enough that he's going to be feel pretty good when he can walk through his, the front door of his house. Oh yeah, I bet. You think Sam's going to leave 8K for his uh, for his uh, room attendant? <laughs> we should have asked. We should have asked. Dang it. Missed opportunity yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Dang it. All right. Well, I'm more Big Show coming up straight ahead. Stay tuned. 97.5 and 1280, The Zone.